It's an understatement to say how much I've enjoyed the worship this morning. It was so beautiful to be up at Camp Moriah this week and to hear over 400 voices join in unison uh, to, to praise the Lord. You could feel the presence of the Lord even among the trees as the praises reverberated uh, even among the, the hills and valleys of that place. But there's nothing sweeter to me than to be in the church of the living God. God inhabits the praises of His people and we make His praise glorious. I want to invite you this morning to turn to the second book of the Bible. The book of Exodus. We're going to start a series of sermons through this wonderful book of the Bible. And I hope And pray as we go through it that you will hear the word of the Lord. But more importantly than just hearing the word of the Lord, my prayer beyond that is that both you and I will listen to the word of the Lord. You know there's a difference in hearing and listening. There have been a lot of times my children have heard me, but I know sometimes they weren't listening. But when it's really a beautiful thing is when we both hear and listen. I think of that great Hebrew word Shema that the, that the Jews love so much. The Shema, the Shema. It means hear, O Israel. And that word hear means to listen with the intent of obeying what is heard. I enjoyed so much, Brother Jeff, when... You took us through the book of Genesis. I'll treasure so many things that you taught us through that book. And then, Brother Jeff skipped all the way from Genesis to Revelation, (laughs) y'all. He's in Revelation now. So I began to think about what I would preach about after I finished uh, the prophet Elisha and and his ministry. And I thought, well, I'll just pick up where Brother Jeff left off in Genesis At the book of Exodus. We're going to do this series of messages under the umbrella of this thought. A journey of redemption. A journey of redemption. And so let's begin our journey. Here in Exodus chapter 1 and we're going to read verses 1 through 7. We're really not going to preach this as a text this morning. It's just to, to break in to the book. I want you to begin reading ahead of me as, as we preach. And I hope that you'll have a lot of questions for me as we study through this book and, and you read through it. But today will really be an introduction for us to this wonderful book. But one of the things that I want you to notice in our reading today, as, as we read verses 1 through 7, is the context of family and, and the importance of family. God has always meant His church, His people to be a family together, connected not by blood, but by spirit and by faith. Notice that it says about this family that they are called souls. Can I get an Amen. God breathed into man and he became a living soul. And here we see that the people that are mentioned 
our families, a family together that worshipped together, that journeyed together, that became a nation and a church together. And notice that not to put any sisters or any women down, we know that God has designed the family and He has designed the church and He has designed for men to take leadership. Not that they're more important or more significant, but that's the role that God has called them to play in His design. And notice that, that it is the men and the leaders of the family uh, that, are, that are called uh, to, to be that in this day, in this story, and still today, He's just the same today. And so just, just notice that and how God blessed them. The second book of Moses called Exodus. Now these are the names of the children of Israel. Stop. Now we know that these are the children of Jacob. Correct? But the Bible does not recognize him as Jacob anymore. But they are recognized as the children of Israel. For Jacob had a great change, didn't he? Do you remember when he wrestled with the Lord? And he said, Lord, I won't let you go until what? Until you bless me. And he said, I'm going to change your name. Your name was Jacob, which meant trickster, supplanter. Actually, heel grabber. You remember how he got that name when he was born? Esau was coming out and Jacob actually grabbed his heels. Kind of gross, but that's the story of the Bible. Heel grabber, trickster. He said, I'm going to change your name to Israel, which means prince with God. The children of Israel, which came into Egypt, every man in his household came with Jacob. Reuben. Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. And all the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob were seventy souls, for Joseph was in Egypt already. And Joseph died, and all his brethren, and all that generation And the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceeding mighty. And the land was filled with them. Hear the word of the Lord. First thing that I want us to do is is really talk about this title that has been given to this book. The title, Exodus. Exodus. It's actually... We have this as a Greek title. It actually literally means departure. When you break down uh, the word, it actually means the road out of. And I wonder this morning, if there are many of us here, I I don't doubt this at all, that need an exodus from things in our lives. I'm sure, brother, Nick is enjoying his exodus from military training. Can I get an amen? (laughs) There are some people that are thinking about making an exodus from Olive Branch and need the Lord to guide them and, and make for them a new 
place. Maybe some of us have bad habits that have formed in our lives or in our hearts that we need deliverance from. We need redemption from. We need an exodus. We need a road out of those bad habits. Maybe it's a bad attitude. You know, people, somebody told me one time, they said, Nathan, your problem isn't your problem, it's your attitude. That is your problem. We can develop bad attitudes. Attitudes of unbelief. Attitudes of bitterness. Attitudes of unforgiveness. Well, as we go through this wonderful book of Exodus, may God also set us free as He set His children free from a hard and cruel taskmaster. Listen, Satan wants you to believe that you'll never be out under his, under his hand of oppression. You can never break that bad habit. You can never get free from the sins or pains of the past, but it's not true. He delivered them with a mighty hand, Amen. with an exodus. Not just one or two, not just a handful that we see here in the beginning, this 70 souls soon became millions and millions. And brothers and sisters, I'm glad to tell you, they all got out of Egypt. And they all made it across the Red Sea by the powerful delivering hand of a redeeming God. And God can set you free too. If you believe in Him, if you cry to Him, if you will trust and obey and follow Him, you also and also will know an exodus. An exodus. What do we need freedom from? Well, the truth is, all of us in here need freedom from something. You might just need an exodus from yourself. Sometimes our own worst enemy is the person that we stare at in the mirror every morning. I was thinking of this and this thought of Exodus, this road out of, this departure, this nation of people that were made to be oppressed and and became slaves and and they had taskmasters over them and you'll read and and you can almost feel the oppression in chapter 1 as it says that their lives were made to be filled with rigor. Now, Brother Nick and I have had the privilege of working for Brother Jeff Harris. And we know a little bit uh, about that. I told Sister Donna the other day, when he writes out my check, he always puts labor uh, in the memo. I said, I want it to say hard labor. <laughs> I want it to say hard labor. But devil, the devil... And the flesh and this world are cruel taskmasters. Sin will always take you farther than you ever thought you wanted to go. And it will always ask you to pay more than you ever wanted to pay. But hallelujah, there is an escape. There is redemption for all who will trust God and cry out to Him and believe. For millions, there is is redemption. And for one, there is redemption. But turn with me to the New Testament for a thought here as we just consider this great title. You know, even Moses, our, our main character, 
Isn't it amazing in the providence of God how God worked in, in His life to preserve Him from infanticide, right? To preserve Him from abortion. Do you know abortion? It was in the book of Exodus. It's in the first chapter. The ugly reality of abortion. In the Way back in the beginning in the book of Exodus, they said we've got to stop this population explosion. We've We've got to kill uh, these children uh, before they can uh, overtake us and they'll be our rulers. And the Pharaoh, the king, said, I want you to kill all of them. I want you to throw them in a Nile. But Moses has some godly parents. Hallelujah for godly parents. What a wonderful thing. They saved Moses. They hid him. Then they put him in that little ark, Right? And it just so happened, he just got lucky that he floated right to where the princess of Egypt was bathing. Was it luck? Or did it come to pass? It come to pass. God, you know, the Bible says uh, the, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He can turn it uh, like he does a river. I can just see God got in that little ark of baby Moses right to where the princess of Egypt was bathing. And it says that when she looked at him, her heart was turned toward him. And that's why it's called Moses, Sister Donna, because she drew him up. That's what Moses means. She delivered him. She gave him an exodus from the Nile. And here this one was raised as a son of Pharaoh. Raised in the most powerful nation of the world. At this time, he knew the might of their armies and of their church and the extent of Pharaoh's arm and, and the resolve of Pharaoh's heart to keep them in bondage. And he knew what an impossible task that it would be to deliver God's people out from under them. But what he didn't know yet and what he would learn was the strength of the arm of Jehovah. Hallelujah. Yes. And so Satan would like you and I to believe my marriage will never be better. We'll never love each other the way that we should. We'll never have the joy that we see other couples have. My children will never return to the Lord and, and they're beyond oh, the reach of even the sovereign oh, arm of God. Oh no, do not believe that today. Listen to this in 1 Corinthians Chapter 10, embrace this promise today. Maybe you just think that it's everybody else that has problems. Everybody else that's tempted. Everybody else needs, nobody else needs an exodus but you. No, listen. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that that you are able. But will with the temptation also make a way to what? Escape. That's the same Greek word exodus. It's the same root words. He will make an exodus that you may be able to bear it. Beloved, the good news of the book of Exodus, 
that the people of that day heard and it reverberates all the way down to our day today. And it's even that message and that truth of the Scriptures that captured the heart even of the founding fathers of this nation. And it is that truth that God desires for men to be free. Not free to sin. Not free to do whatever that they want. But the freedom to do what is right. And to worship and to love Him together. That's what captured their hearts. The good news today is that God desires freedom for us. For you. And for me. Say, Brother Nathan, how do you know that? I know that because of Exodus chapter 5. We're going to flip ahead in the story just a little bit. Exodus chapter 5. <laughs> you know, Moses and Aaron, God's two witnesses. That's another thing that, that we'll see through the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus is amazing uh, just in its design with the number 2. And we'll notice this as we, we go through uh, the book. It's amazing how often that number is used. But here we have this couple, these, these messengers of the Lord, these witnesses of the Lord, Moses and Aaron. Uh, their ministry really didn't start off with a bang. They, they, weren't, uh, they weren't received uh, very well. But here, as they stand and they speak to power in their day, and they come before the mightiest ruler of the earth at that time, and listen to what they say, Exodus chapter 5. Oh, this is beautiful, beloved. Chapter verse one. And afterward, Moses and Aaron, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, "Thus saith the Lord God of Israel." Underline this in your Bible. Let my people what go. That's a message of the Lord. Let my people go. That's how He's at work in this church. That's how He's at work in all of our lives. Breaking the bands of the oppressor and the things that would hinder us from our relationship with the Trinity. He'll give us a way of escape. He'll give us an exodus. He says to you today, I want you to be free. I want you to be free in your life. To be able to enjoy all the blessings that I intend for you to have, both now and forevermore. You know, I was thinking about Sister Debbie. I was thinking about Brother Jonathan Poe. You know, it's all true that, that we need exoduses and escapes in this life. But there's one that we're all going to need too at the end. And beloved, I want you to know that they're fixing to experience an exodus like they never have in their life. They're going to be delivered out of a world of sin and sorrow into a world where David said, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Hallelujah. He's going to say, let my people go. And death is not going to be able to hold them, but they'll experience the final exodus into the true promised land, into the true Canaan land with the Redeemer. They'll sit down at His throne. God 
desires freedom for us. Does the devil want us to believe that about God? No. The devil wants us to, us to believe it's God that enslaves. It's God that's the party pooper. It's God that ruins everything and puts you in bondage in your life. It's, it's me that gives you freedom to do what you want to do and be what you want to be. Oh, but I forget to tell you at the end, I destroy it all. I take it all away from you. And then you abide forever away from the presence of all that God intended for your life. See, the first sip that, G, that uh, Satan gives you, the first intoxicating swallow of his freedom, the freedom to enjoy the pleasures of this world and the pleasures of sin for a season. Oh, it goes down so smooth and it feels so good. But then it begins to deaden your appetite and, and your life and then the cup becomes more and more and more bitter until the last drink is the drink of death and the wrath of God. But every sweet, every sip from Christ and from the cup of grace is everlasting and pure with no bitterness or aftertaste. Amen. Did you know that even our Lord and Savior Jesus was in Egypt? Did you know that? Did you know that the prophecies of old said, From Egypt shall my son be called? Yes. We think about all of us in our journey of redemption in our lives. Egypt is a picture of a place of oppression and spiritual darkness, of lostness, of bondage. And that's the way we all are before we are able to come to faith in Christ. And even Jesus, our Savior, spent time in Egypt. Go with me to the book of Matthew chapter 2. And I just want to remind you of that. You say, well, Jesus is high above us. He is so wonderful. Beloved, He knew what it was to live in this world. He knew what it was to be tempted by Satan. He knew what it was to... Uh, have to serve with rigor, for even he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. And even Jesus was in Egypt land. Much like Moses, he had to flee from infanticide. He had to flee from abortion. Isn't this amazing how life and history repeats itself? Here Moses, the mediator, of, of the old covenant is hunted when he's a child and miraculously, miraculously delivered. And Jesus also, when he was born, Herod heard that the king of the Jews is going to be born. And he said, I want all the males killed. And so Joseph and Mary, being the wise parents that they were, they fled where? To Egypt. And we see this in Matthew chapter 2, verse 14. I, I just wanted to remind you of this, beginning of verse 13, And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt. And be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. 
When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Most of you in here have already been called out of Egypt. Hallelujah. You have experienced the redemption and freedom that is in Christ. But some of you in here have not. I pray today you'll hear the voice of the Redeemer saying, let my people go. I hope today you will hear the voice of the Father saying, out of Egypt, I call you to be my sons and my daughters. Oh, I'm glad there's a road out. I'm glad there's an exodus. I'm glad that there is redemption from something. But there's something more glorious to that. It's not that you've just been called out from something or redeemed from something. Oh, but it's what you've been redeemed for and redeemed to and where you're heading with the Lord Jesus Christ that that is to be the most excited about. And then all through the journey, beloved, He's going to be with you. There's going to be waters from rocks. There's going to be manna from heaven. There's going to be red seas parted for you and I to walk across on dry land. There's going to be tests. There's going to be temptations. There's going to be uh, battles. But the good news is the Lord is your deliverer. He's going to see you through all the way just like He did His people. So, there's the title. Man, what, what a, a wonderful thing to get to share with you and, and us watch God do this with millions and millions of, of people and just be reminded of how that He is doing this in people's lives today and how that He's doing this in, in my life. He's still redeeming me. He's still bringing me out from something and, and to something. You see, because we have a tendency, just like in this story, when the way gets hard, we think, man, I think I might want to just go back. Right? Oh, Lord, keep delivering me. Keep uh, pressing me on toward that better land. Help me not to want to turn back to the flesh pots, the idols of Egypt. Let's talk a little bit about the historical significance of this book. I've, I've asked you uh, beforehand to just kind of think about the book of Exodus and, and what you know about it. And, and I've asked you to kind of think about maybe what the doctrinal significance of the book of Exodus is in regard to the whole Bible. Now, Brother Jeff told us a story the other day with him and uh, uh, who was it? Uh, Adams. Jay Adams, we always know the right answer is the glory of God. Can I get an amen? <laughs> so the overarching major theme of every book of the Bible in the Bible is the glory of God done. But there are uh, subplots, uh, things underneath that great overarching principle. Like in the book of Genesis, we see the doctrinal significance of the book of Genesis is election. 
God chooses Abel. God chooses Seth. God chooses Noah. Noah found grace in the eyes of, of God and eight souls are saved, chosen among all the inhabitants of the earth. God chooses Abraham. God chooses Isaac over Ishmael. God chooses Jacob over Esau. Jacob, have I loved? And Esau, have I what? Have I hated? We see Jacob when he's old, switch hands on the sons of Joseph. And so we see the doctrinal significance of that book being election. And I've kind of already given it away in the title, The Road of Redemption. The doctrinal significance, of course, of the book of Exodus is redemption. And we're going to look at that, but there's also a historical significance of the book. These books must always be read and studied in the context of when they took place and and when they were written and who wrote them. Now we know the uh, real author of all the books of the Bible is God Almighty. For all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That Greek word there, inspiration, is theonoustos. It is the creative breath of God. God just took up men like pins in His almighty, sovereign, infallible hand and He just used them like I would use this pen in my hand to write His story, His book. Moses is one of those pens. The historical significance of the book of Exodus. It is the story of how a family became a nation and a people of faith. This book was written and this story, the Exodus, occurs in about 1400 B.C. That is 1400 years before Jesus Christ would be born. Hallelujah! Jesus Christ is the center and focal point even of literal time itself. For He came in the fullness of time. Amen? And all history is predicated off of Him. But just to put it so that we can understand this, if it's 1400 years before Christ, let's just go back from 2020 to 620. Anybody know what was going on in the world in the first millennium at 620? I'll let you know. That is when the prophet Muhammad raised up and began the religion of Islam and began to unite all the Arab tribes together under one religion. And he declared jihad against the world. That seems like a long time ago. Well, it was 1,400 years before Christ, B.C. And we know that we have an accurate historical account of this book because Moses himself is the author of this book. Now I just want you to think about how providentially perfect that that is. Because all of the Hebrews, most of the Hebrews were illiterate. They were slaves. They weren't allowed to be educated. They weren't allowed to read. They weren't allowed to write. But Moses knew how to read. He knew how to write. Why? 
because he was educated in the best schools of the world at that time. He was raised as the son of Pharaoh to be a ruler in Egypt. And he was given the best education in the world by the providence of God. Isn't that amazing? The hand and, and the way that God writes the story and the people that He chooses to use. But I just want you to hear the Bible uh, speak to you just about even this fact. Uh, go with me to the book of Exodus 24, verse 4. See, people think that the Bible... It's just an old archaic book. They, they think that it's just a bunch of stories and fables that, that people made up uh, you know, to get people to give money to their religious cause. I'll never forget watching the, uh, when the new, the, lati- the latest series of the, of the Star Wars series came out and kind of the new group that's come on the scene, they meet Han Solo and... Uh, they asked him, they said, uh, uh, the Force, the Jedi? And Han Solo, looked at him, Han Solo looked at him and said, it's all true. It's all true. Because <laughs> he was a witness of it. And Moses was a witness of all these things. And he, and he wrote them down. Look at this in Exodus 24.4. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord and rose up early in the morning and built an altar under the hill and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. It was important. They recorded it. What happened. What God did. What they experienced. What they went through. Aren't you glad that God took up Moses as his pen? Aren't you glad that you can even read the Bible? Speak to its own authorship. Moses wrote all the words of Moses. Is that what you read? No. Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. This isn't just Moses' story or Moses' opinion, but the Lord's. That's why you don't need to just hear it. You need, and I need, to listen to it. But but just, you say, well, Brother Nathan, that's just one time. Go with me again to the book of Exodus chapter 34. And we'll see it even more clearly. There it says that Moses just wrote the words of the Lord. I believe that. But here in Exodus chapter 34, verse 27, listen to this. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write thou these what? Words. Write thou these words. For after the tenor of these words, I have made a covenant with thee. And with Israel. So, the story of how a family became a nation and a people of faith. Why does God want us to know that story? Well, that's exactly what He's doing in our lives as well. So, the outline of the book, we, we are given background uh, in the first in the first part of the book about how Israel as a people as a family as a people of faith got into the condition that they were in and this wasn't 
by happenstance or bad luck either, right? But God had told Abraham many years before, your family is going to be in Egypt for 400 years, but then I'm going to deliver them out with a mighty hand and I'm going to give them all this land that I promised to you, asked you, did God keep His word? Were they in Egypt? Were they in Egypt 400 years? Did God deliver them out with a mighty hand? Did they dwell in the land that He promised to their father Abraham? He did. Did they become a mighty nation and a people of faith? Yes, they did. And so we're given that story of how Israel and Egypt, we're we're given the background to the life of Moses, the deliverer, the mediator of the old covenant. We're told about the plagues and, and then the Passover. And then begins the actual exodus from Egypt to Mount Sinai and, and the wanderings. And I just want to share this with you because it's one of the neatest parts of the whole story. You see, the Egyptians were idolaters. And one of their idols was, were dogs. They thought that dogs were gods. And there were, there were millions of dogs in Egypt. But you know that the Bible says, this just sends chills up my spine. The day that they left Egypt, all the millions of people, all those millions of children, all their stuff, the Bible says, that not a single dog dog barked. Oh, the mighty hand of God. He can shut the mouth of lions. He can shut all the dogs of Egypt. There's a lot of dogs barking in our day. May God shut their mouths. And then we have the great giving of the law. A God's making of His covenant with the family of God and with the nation of faith and the Ten Commandments and the tabernacle. Oh, it's a beautiful story, beloved. I can't wait for us to dive in and, and, and share all that beautiful truth. So that's the historical significance of the book. Now we want to look at the doctrinal significance. And this is the main thing. This is why it's in the Bible. For the whole Bible, as it overarching Uh, teaches us about the glory of God, it is also the unfolding drama of redemption with its pinnacle and the cathartic moment of the whole Bible, of course, is the cross of Jesus Christ. But here, we find one of the greatest examples of redemption and its type and shadow of all the Old Testament. Key verse, key verse for the whole book. Go with me to the book of Exodus. This will be our key verse that we'll piggyback off of many times. The doctrinal significance of the book of Exodus is redemption. Redeemed, to redeem something. To be redeemed means to be bought back. To be bought back. Here in Exodus 15 and verse 13, here's our key verse for the whole book. Thou in thy mercy. Thou in thy mercy. Do you have a need for mercy in your life? 
See, grace is God giving you what you don't deserve. But mercy is God keeping from you what you do deserve. (laughs) Amen? I want grace and I want mercy. And the need for mercy and the, the, the act of mercy implies the need for mercy. And so it says, Thou in thy mercy hath led forth the people, the exodus, which thou hast what? Redeemed. Thou hast guided them in thy strength unto thy holy habitation. That's the whole story of the book of Exodus in a nutshell right there in one verse. Isn't it beautiful? But it is the doctrinal significance of of the book. Number one, because we see the need for redemption. We see the need for redemption. Did you need redeeming by Jesus Christ? Could you get yourself out of your sins? Could you get yourself out of hell? No. Here, this nation of slaves, they didn't even have, they didn't have any weapons. Brother Andy, they didn't have any chariots. They didn't have any generals. They didn't have any bows and arrows or swords. All they had was faith in God and His promise. That's all they had. I ask you, were they redeemed? (laughs) They were. Without any ability of their own, they didn't rise up and rebel against Pharaoh and overthrow the guards and and overturn the chariots. No, they were backed up against the Red Sea. And here come the host of Pharaoh and their chariots and said that He's going to destroy us all. And Moses stood, at least he did in the Ten Commandments in Charlton Heston, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And a pillar of fire separated them. They walked across on dry land. And all Pharaoh's hosts pursued them to destroy them. And God closed those waters and destroyed their very enemies before their eyes. Oh, the need for redemption of people that were enslaved, in bondage. That's where sin has you before you know Christ. Before you hear the message of the Redeemer, let my people go. Before you are delivered out through regeneration and conversion by the gospel and into the holy habitation, which is the church. You cross and are baptized like they were through the Red Sea and the Jordan. All these things are pictures of what God is doing in salvation in His church even today. We see the need for redemption. Then we see the power of the Redeemer. Did Pharaoh want to let them go? Does Satan want to ever let any of us go? Does he have to? Yes! Yes! Pharaoh said, I won't let them go. As a matter of fact, I'm going to make their life harder. I used to give them straw to make brick. Now get your own straw. And he made their lives even harder. God sent plague after plague and then he killed all the firstborn till the heart of Pharaoh said, 
You can go. <laughs> you can go. Oh, we see the power of the Redeemer. We see the destruction of the oppressor. Then we see the character. We see the character of redemption, don't we? For on that night that every firstborn son and daughter of the Egyptians died, there were little lambs that were carried by the leaders of households, by the dads, with the families, and the lamb without spot and blemish. It was sacrificed. And the blood of the lamb of the sacrifice was taken and wiped on the sides and over the doors of the house. And all those who were under the blood were passed over. They were saved. The character of redemption will always be blood and sacrifice. For for without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And it was pointing to that great Paschal Lamb. That great Passover Lamb. The Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. That name whereby all men must be saved. For He is the only Redeemer. He is the only mediator between God and man. And His blood is what has redeemed us. For we were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the most valuable element in all the universe. The character of redemption. And then, the provision and privileges of redemption. See, like I told you, you haven't just been redeemed from something. Right? He didn't just say, okay, I got you out of Egypt. Now everybody just go their own merry way. No, we're in this thing together. We're in this thing with God. He takes us and He gives us His covenant. He takes us and He gives us His law. He takes us and He gives us His tabernacle. He takes us and delivers us to the promised land. All the privileges and all the provisions of redemption are ours as well. Hallelujah. And hallelujah. And then lastly, in the introduction of the book, we see the role of Yahweh and the nature of God. Isn't it sad that when Moses meets God in the burning bush, right? Moses is doing his job. He's he's shepherding for his father-in-law. Looks up in the mount, says, I, I see something like I've never seen before. It was a bush, beloved, that was enveloped with fire, but was not being consumed. And Moses said, Truly, I must turn aside and see this sight. Well, I want you to know that is one of the greatest and only visible pictures that we have. Of both the deity and humanity of Jesus Christ meshed together. It's a beautiful picture of Christ. 
how that he was 100% God and what? 100% man. And neither conflicted with one another. And out of it came the voice of God. And Jesus is the Logos. He is the Word of God. Moses said, Lord, if we're Your people, we don't even know Your name. And so God begins to reveal Himself to His people. God begins to take back some of the veil of His glory. Hallelujah! No longer just Creator. No longer just a God worshipped upon the altars of the patriarchs. But now one that is going to come and dwell among His people that He has brought out. That He has delivered. That He has redeemed. That sacrifice has been made for. That have covenanted together with Him. What do you think about God today? Do you believe what man has told you? Do you believe... You have a God as a figment of your own imagination. Beloved, I want to glorify God as God. God now in Exodus begins to tell me who He is. He's one who hears the cries of His people. Aren't you glad that's the first thing that He told Moses? I have heard the cries of of my people. And I have seen their afflictions. And I will deliver them. That's the true God of the Bible. That's the way God really is. If you don't believe that. Look at the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. That king. That you talked about. That's Jesus. One. Who delivers from oppression. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God don't say, you made your bed, you lie in it. No. No. Hallelujah, God's not that way. But He says, if you come to Me and you confess your sins, I'm faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to what? To cleanse you from all unrighteousness. They had sold themselves into slavery and into sin. God says, I'll buy you back. I'll redeem you to be mine. One who hears the cries of his people. Here's the role of Yahweh. One who delivers from oppression. One who covenants with those who believe. One who will dwell in the midst of his people. In the heart of the believer dwells the Shekinah glory of God. Hallelujah. He dwells with us. He has covenanted with us. A God beyond names. Beyond names. Amen? Amen. Moses said, what will I tell them your name is? First, we'll deal with this in the story. He says, as a matter of fact, Moses, I'm going to use you to go back and deliver my people out of the land of Egypt. <laughs> well, if you remember the story of Moses, Moses did not leave Egypt on too good of terms. 
He found out he was a Hebrew. Then he stands up for him and he kills an Egyptian. He murders, buries him in the sand, gets righted on, and has to flee across the wilderness. This is the one God's going to use. <laughs> Hallelujah. A rogue, a murderer, an outcast. He says this, Who am I, Lord, that you would use me? God said, doesn't matter who you are. I am. I am. Not I was. Not I am right now. Not I will be. I am. He's beyond names. He's beyond control. He's beyond understanding. Hallelujah. That is our God. But how wonderful it is what He has revealed to us. One that demands faith. One that pours out mercy and compassion. And one that displays a jealous love over His people. Over His heart. Over His redeemed. Has He poured out mercy and compassion upon you? Does He not demand your faith? Are you ready for an exodus? May the Lord bless you and keep you as I pray.